Good morning and welcome. Thank you to Tony and to Eric and the quintet for helping to prepare our hearts for worship today. Let all things their creator bless, that hymn just said, and that's what we are here to do this morning, to praise our great God and to join in all creation in doing so. In fact, as our first hymn says, the highest of angels are praising him right now, and yet this is the same God who for our sins he suffered and bled and died. As Psalm 138 says, for though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly, and he showed this great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that and so much more, we are to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's stand and do just that today.
responsibly from Psalm 84 and Philippians 3. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts, O Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself.
as we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to call the ushers to please come to the front. Um, if you are visiting for the first time, please do not feel obligated to participate in this part of our worship service. This is something that uh, we do and practice as a church because we believe that tithing and giving our offerings to the Lord is not only something that He commands, but it's also um, part of our spiritual disciplines for our own growth. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with the book of De Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, right before the, the Israelites get into the promised land, the Lord tells them quite a few times, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget that I was the one that brought you here. Actually, he says, when, you, when things start going well for you, when you build your houses, when you get the things that you want, all the things that you have, do not forget that it wasn't your power, it was I who won that brought you here. I want to make the argument that this is part of the reason why we also participate in offer, giving offerings and tithings. Because the tendency is to forget that everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to the Lord, even our money. So part of the reason why as a church we give and give uh, uh, sacrificially is because we never want to forget that everything we have belongs to the Lord. And in Him and Him alone we trust. Amen? You may pass the plates. Um, as always, there's three different ways for us to give uh, to the church. You could always give when we pass the plates. You could always give by uh, going to winbible.org slash give. Or if you are worshiping with us uh, from home, you could always send you offerings to the, ofi uh, to the offices of the church. Now, today I have... Today is a, is, a, is a Sunday that we have so many things going and every single one of them are super important. Um, uh, today I do have a special announcement. Um, as you know, one thing that you have heard from the leadership time and time again is that for us to gather as believers is extremely important. Amen? Amen. Part of the reason why it's extremely important is not just because the Bible commands it, but because we need to uh, worship together, hear the word together, encourage one another, bless one another, grow, uh, grow together as body of believers. So Sunday is not, is not just a regular day. Sunday is a very important day. Amen? Can you say very important day? Therefore, anything and everything that happens here on Sunday... It's extremely important for the leadership of the church. And it's also important for us that you have a place and a time in which you get to worship the Lord how you like to worship the Lord. This is part of the reason why in this church, beautiful big church, it's also a complicated church because we have a traditional service, a contemporary service, and a Spanish-speaking service. So if you don't know the nightmare that is, that's a beautiful nightmare. <laughs> Trying to manage all these things. Um, so with that in mind then, I, I want to announce some, uh, after much prayer, we talked about this as the executive team of the church, we talked about this with the ministry leadership of the, the church, we, we talked about this with the elders, we prayed, we did a survey, so by the way, I want to thank for all of you guys that participated in the survey, we got um, a lot of information that we needed to get, um, because as a church, we are committed to make decisions, inform decisions, so your voice matters. And after doing all of this process, and thinking about all of these things, I'm praying uh, about all of these things, I'm happy to announce that on August 20th, we are going to go back to 
two services for the traditional service and two services for the contemporary service. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have the traditional service in the east, contemporary service in the west, and then uh, we are we're actually making some changes in our times. Now, before I share the changes, which you will hear later on again, this is the heart of this at the end of the day. We want you to be in a place where you worship in the style, in the worship language you have in your heart. Because the Lord created you in a certain way. So you worshiping in a place where you, where you, you enjoy that, we want you to be there, number one. Number two, we really want you to consider, if you're not part of that yet, to join one worship service, and in the second hour, or vice versa, then either serve or join an adult community group. As a church, because Sunday is such an important day, we want you to be here all day. Just kidding. But we do want you to be here two hours. Worshiping one, serving the other one, or serving the other one, adult community, and then worshiping the other one. Amen? How many of you guys are part of adult communities already? How many of you guys serve on Sunday morning already? Okay, how about if we all raise the hands and say, this is by, by, by faith, this is what we're all going to do. Amen? All right. These are the hours. You don't have to remember them all, but give it to you. So starting August 20, we're going to have the first service at 845. So those of you that are already used to coming to 830, you're welcome. You get another 15 minutes extra. 845, 1030, two services in the east, two services here. And then we're going to push, uh, move uh, Iglesia a little earlier to 1215. Now, this is what I want you to do. Please help us pray for this. Because we got to move groups. We, uh, Sunday school has to uh, figure out different things. We're going to need more volunteers. But we really understand that this is the direction in which the Lord is leading us, uh, is leading us to. So we are craving your prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Beautiful Savior, we are grateful. Because even as a, as a church, when we have to think about these things, it, we don't want to do this in our own power and in our own wisdom. We want to do this because this is your church and we need you for every decision we make. Lord, we are stepping into this trusting that you have been guiding the process. We have been seeking your face. We have been seeking your wisdom. We have been seeking discernment. I'm grateful, Lord, for every brother and sister that have participated in the survey. I'm grateful for our elders that take this decision serious. I'm grateful for the staff that takes this decision serious. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that as we make these changes, your name may be glorified and your name may be exalted and your church may be edified because that's what we need. So as we go through this journey, Lord, I, I ask that you may be with us. That you equip us so we could do what you have called us to do. And that we serve you well. Because your church matters. And Sunday matters. Now, Lord, please prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. May the presence and ministry of the Spirit may be with us. May he illuminate our minds, transform our affections, and influence our will. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him.
Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 21. It's verses 28 through 46. If you're using your journal, it's on page 122. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Gracious and just God, this morning, as we sit under your word together, would you make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts acceptable, beautiful, and worship-filled in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning, church family. All right. For those of you who don't recognize the beard, my name is Eric Solomon, uh, and I get to serve uh, on the preaching team here at our church, but I also get to serve as the pastor of adult ministries. And the reason I asked you for good morning twice is I need a little bit of espresso in the morning before I get going, and you guys provide that for me. So thank you for indulging me. Um, as the pastor of adult ministry, it basically means if you're over the age of 18 and you're wondering how in the world to get connected at this big church, 
come find me and I will help you do that. Okay? Amen? If you're new here, like Hannibal said, we are so glad you're here. I also want to encourage you to come up and say hi to me. I would love to get to know you and to make a really big church feel a lot less big. I would love to help you find out more about our church family. Uh, I, I would love to get to know you. Now, this morning, we dive into the text of Scripture, back into the Gospel of Matthew. If you've been walking with us in our... Uh, multi-year journey in the gospel of Matthew, you'll notice that we're getting near the end of the gospel. But at the end of this gospel, it feels like time slows down. And Matthew takes us day by day as Jesus approaches the cross. This morning, we find ourselves in chapter 1 on Jesus' last Tuesday of his final week before the cross. A, a Tuesday that is filled with anything but ordinary we step back into the story and nothing less than the middle of a confrontation, a, a, a conflict of authority, a, a boxing match, if I can use that illustration, between the, the religious leaders of the day and Jesus himself. And they refuse to realize that they have just stepped into the ring with none other than the one who gave them their authority in the first place. Last week, we were front and center in our text for, for round one, which ended not in a knockout punch, but in what I would call a stalemate. Uh, uh, who's going to flinch first? Now, Jesus never flinches. But this morning, he's going to throw two haymakers on this Tuesday that I, I think are truly a wonder to behold. And I'm trying to set you up for something by using this language. Because these religious leaders, they don't see it coming until it is too late. And Jesus' haymakers are uh, thrown in the form of, of stories that we call parable, parables. If you don't remember from the first time we talked about parables in this series, we describe these, these parables as made-up stories that are meant to do two things. To communicate truth and to stimulate thinking. And so today we have two stories that Jesus made up that are about to... Lay these religious leaders out, if I can continue with my illustration. Now, as I talk about this uh, boxing match, I, I don't want you to get too excited too quickly. Because I do think that these parables are meant not just to confront the religious authorities that are questioning Jesus, but they are also meant to reveal our hearts, to reveal to everyone who Jesus really is and what his kingdom is really like. And so this morning... As we track through these, these, these stories, through our text, I, I want you to be looking for what I'm calling three surprising but foundational elements to the way life works in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is using these two stories to point out these three surprising but foundational elements of the kingdom by not only telling the stories, but by leading his audience to what I call provocative questions. Right? Here are the three elements that I want us to be on the lookout as we work through each story. They, they were flashing on the screen. It's the, the obedience of repentance, the stone of rejection, and the son of redemption. Jesus' first story will uh, draw out something that, that I'm summarizing as the obedience of repentance. His second story will present this provocative stone of rejection that we have to make a decision on. And then as we come out of the uh, parabolic worlds that Jesus creates for us, the momentum of his provocative stories, both of these stories, will lead us to none other than the son of redemption. The obedience of repentance, the stone of rejection, and the son of redemption. Are you tracking with me? All right, if you're ready for the first story, turn to your neighbor and tell him to pay attention. 
Here's Jesus' first haymaker. Listen to his parable. And I want you to look for that surprising but foundational first element, the obedience of repentance. Look at the text, starting at verse 28. Jesus uh, essentially picks up the mic he just dropped and he continues. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first, said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not. I won't. They answered. But later, he actually changed his mind and he went. Well, then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I, I will, sir. But he did not go. I want you to pay attention to the world that Jesus has just created. Right? One father, two sons, and a vineyard that needs some work. And if you're not noticing, this is that uh, get out and mow the lawn kind of moment. Like that, that go pick up the trash, right? You don't say no to your parents, obey your parents. You do what you're told. But we actually get two very different scenarios in this moment. Right? One of the sons says no and changes his mind and goes... The other says yes, but never goes. But pay attention to how Jesus is telling that story. Right? Look again at the first son. The first son says he, will not, he won't go. He will not go. But the text says that he changed his mind and went. Right? Did you catch that? He changed his mind. That, that word there, that's translated there, it's supposed to communicate this feeling of regret. Uh, almost, it's an act of repentance. He, he repented of what he said, and he obeyed his father. But that's not how it went down with the other son. All right, pay attention to the text. The father went to the other son, and he, he said the same thing. Right, the exact same thing. I'll tell you, at, at this point in the story, I'm feeling for the father. Because I know what this is like. I cannot tell you how many times I say the exact same thing to both of my children. And it is like I spoke in Spanish to one and the gift of tongues to the other. <laughs> for, any, for anyone looking in on the Solomon household, it's opposite day. Jesus explains that the father said the exact same thing to both sons. Do you catch? They, they had no excuse. Right? They could not complain that the instructions were not clear. They could not file a grievance with the human resources department of the vineyard to say that one was getting special treatment. They had the exact same command. And yet, this second son replies. But he doesn't reply with just a yes. He replies with a polite yes. You see it there? I will, sir. You know that that sir at the end was laid on a little bit thick, right? Like, I will sir. Here's the problem. He was polite, but he did not perform his duty. He, he promised obedience, but his lack of action emptied his promise of its obedience. You didn't catch me. He, he promised obedience, but his lack of action emptied his promise of its obedience. The trajectory of the story should be super clear at this point. But before Jesus makes his point, he stops short and he explains his story. He doesn't explain the story. He invites the religious leaders to, to get the point by making them ask a question. These religious leaders who are questioning his authority now have to answer Jesus' provocative question. He says, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. I mean, it's obvious, right? Who, who actually did what the father commanded, what the father desired, what the father wanted his children to do? The first son. The, sen, the son who said no with his words, changed his mind, and then went and did what his father wanted, what his father asked. The second son gets no credit, no partial credit, right? You don't get credit for just writing your name down. Nothing. 
Who did what his father wanted the first? As you hear this moment, you have to realize that these religious authorities, they don't trust Jesus because of what he just did the day before. Flipping tables and whipping their profit margins. Jesus, you can, you can almost imagine his, their faces as they are listening to the story and answering his question of faces that are marked with both confusion and suspicion here on this Tuesday. And then here comes Jesus' first haymaker, which I told you was coming, but I don't think they see coming. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering into the kingdom of God ahead of you. What? You mean those sinners, Jesus? Entering the kingdom of God, Jesus, you have to be joking. And in the moment that they are not sure what is going on, Jesus' right cross connects with their spiritual temples as he makes them see the light. Let me make sure you don't miss this. Jesus essentially telling them to their faces, face to face. He's not texting them. This isn't a keyboard warrior. Jesus is talking to them to their faces He says, the people you marginalize, the people you ignore, the people you condemn, the people you disregard as sinners, the people you view as less than, who you exclude as hopeless cases, these are the very ones who have all the hope in the world. Because they are entering the kingdom of God. And get this, they are cutting you in line. They're getting in before you. And before they can really react, Jesus explains, because John, verse 32, John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did. John the Baptist, and not like first, second, third Baptist, but like the baptizer Baptist. He is the one that's calling these people to repentance, to God's righteousness, which requires this repentance of sin, this John, he came to show everyone God's way of righteousness, not just to those who thought they were sinners, but everybody, because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says, he came and you didn't believe him. The ones who understood these greedy traders, better known as tax collectors, these these sexually promiscuous, better known as prostitutes. Listen, whatever led them into their life of sin, by choice or by circumstance, whatever it was, it no longer had to restrain them from the freedom that God was providing them. Because John came preaching a way out, a way to life, a way back to the God who made them, who loves them, and is on a mission to save them. Listen, Jesus says, they heard hope and they embraced it. But you heard hostility and you rejected it. The problem is the only hostility they were hearing was their own resistance to the God they claimed to serve. You religious leaders who should have recognized the God you claimed to serve when he called out to you, you did not believe But they who had every reason to resist and run or reject God, they believed and they repented. They confessed. They turned from their sin. And yet Jesus still doesn't stop with this story. Look at the text, verse 32. You saw this. You saw this. You saw what happened. You saw sinners coming back to God. You saw saw God's rebellious people laying down their weapons of rebellion and surrendering to their creator king. You saw this. And you did not repent and believe him. Their freedom did not lead you to your freedom. 
Their obedience did not lead you to their obedience, to your obedience. And I think here's where the story hits for us. I want you to remember the parable that Jesus told, right? Two sons, one refused but repented and then obeyed. One promised but reneged on his promise and did not obey. And then I want you to map that onto what Jesus is talking about here when he's emphasizing the repentance of both these tax collectors and sinners as well as the refusal of repentance of these religious authorities. And here's where it hits. Jesus wants obedience, but the obedience of the kingdom does not start by keeping God's law. It starts by repenting of all the ways we have not kept his law. Y'all didn't hear me. It's too early. <laughs> Jesus wants obedience, but the obedience of the kingdom does not start by keeping God's law, but by repenting, confessing all the ways in which you haven't kept God's law. It starts by acknowledging that apart from him, we cannot keep his law. Entrance into the kingdom is not based on obedience, but on the obedience of repentance. Let me make it clear. What, whatever we have done or not done, however we have lived our lives for ourselves, whether we are marked by the darkness of addiction or the uncontrollable fire of anger, whether we are tied up in money that demands everything from us or, or a polite pride that pretends that we have it all together, whether our envy has run rampant in our hearts or our lust has been in the driver's seat for way too long, whether we've had an abortion or committed adultery, whether we have let our mouths enjoy the sweet poison of gossip or slander disguised as neighborly concern or let our, mouths cl our minds cloud with, with fantasies of revenge and power, however we have missed it, however we have sinned or been sinned against, whatever we have broken, whatever form our brokenness takes and however it comes out in the way we break others, all of it keeps you from God, but none of it keeps God from you. Let me clarify. Our sins, they are active rebellion against the king of all creation. They are spiritual treason, revolting against the one who made us, rioting against the one who loves us, and persisting in that sin, it, it expands the chasm that lays between us and God. Right? We, we keep going in the opposite direction, chasing our sin, running away from him. But those sins do not keep God from coming after us. He does not avoid us. He does not turn his nose up at us. He pursues us. You want me to prove it to you? One word, Jesus. The God-man, God in the flesh, God who does not wait for us to get our act together as if we could, but crosses the chasm and takes up a cross to enable us to walk with him again. He does that because he loves us. He does that because he loves us. He does that because our sins, they separate us from him, and yet his love refuses to live with that separation. It is precisely our sins that draw God to us in compassion. And as he draws closer to us, and his message that should ring in our ears, repent of your sin, surrender your life to the one who made you and loves you, walk in the way of righteousness, that message, it rings not just in our ears, but in our hearts and convicts us, calling us to change our minds, to repent. Let me say it another way. The obedience that grants us entrance into the kingdom is not getting our lives right. It's finally admitting our lives are far from right, and we have no way to make it right ourselves. In other words, it is the obedience of repentance. 
We have to believe Jesus when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It has come near. Not clean yourself up, not follow every commandment first and then you get to come in. Repent. Admit your sin. Believe what God says about you, about him, about sin. Surrender your life to him. This is what the religious leaders are missing in this moment. This is what all those sinners understood. And this is what Jesus never wants us to confuse. Obey God by repenting of sin. That's what gets you in. Not, not doing all this other stuff first. Jesus cares about obedience. And your life, when you enter into the kingdom, has to look different. But the only way you get in the first place is by repenting and admitting you can't make that happen. Which is why I think Jesus gears up for his next haymaker. Because this next parable is about to show us just how upside down this kingdom is. If you're like, man, that is repentance. That is like a big deal. And, and a kind of a sweet deal. I, I just, I need to give up. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But it's costly. And I think this next parable will show us how. Because these religious leaders, they don't get cut in line. And this is just, this is the judgment piece. They're about to hear that they're in danger of getting cut out completely. And I want you to be on the lookout for this second surprising but foundational element of the kingdom. This stone of rejection. And especially pay attention in this story because if you thought you understood how Jesus was telling stories, there's a twist in here that kind of comes out of nowhere. Jesus warms up. He welcomes us into this other parabolic world in verse 33. 33 he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He, he put a wall around it. He dug a wine press and he built this watchtower. Then he rented that vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. We, we leave the world of one vineyard to enter the world of another. Only this one has a much more involved landowner and a surprising group of tenants, right? Pay attention to the way Jesus describes this vineyard. It is, it is not only planted and then rented, right? It is taken care of. It, it has a wall, it has a wine press, it has a watchtower. The landowner provides everything that this vineyard and its tenants need to thrive and produce. Now, to kind of let the cat out of the bag a little early, like, like many parables Jesus tells, the landowner represents God. Right? The parabolic world he's created is communicating this reality of how much care God has taken in cultivating his vineyard, his kingdom. It's, it's careful cultivation. And so it is good and right that at the harvest time, he sends someone to collect what is rightfully his, the fruit of his vineyard. But pay attention to the story when it takes a dark turn. Verse 35. The tenants, they seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them. More than the first time. And the tenants, they treated them the exact same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so that's exactly what they did. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. The violence in this story should be shocking to you. Right? It is diversified in its brutality and it escalates pretty quickly Right, from beating to killing to stoning, which is one of the most undignified ways to be killed at the time of Jesus. The violence is striking, but then the story doubles down. Right? The owner sends another mission to collect, and it ends in unmistakable and unimaginable cruelty. 
And yet even if this first turn was darker than we could have imagined, there's one more turn that is at best unexpected, but at worst feels like a foolish and fatal miscalculation. I mean, who in their right mind believes that after these tenants who have just beaten the brakes off of these servants are in any way going to respect this son? It's naive. It's, it's, it's foolish. At least, that's how the owner would look to anyone on the outside looking in. But Jesus' parabolic worlds, they invite us in to turn us inside out because in this world, the landowner acts with incomprehensible mercy. And it costs him dearly. It costs him his very own son. He, he was too patient. He was too kind. He was too loving. And someone suffered because of that love. Because you see, these, these bloodthirsty tenants, they did not see a son walking up that lane. They saw an opportunity. They were not confused about who he was. They were not mistaking him for a thief or a predator. No, no, no. It is they who were thieving and praying on the air. I mean, think about the way Jesus told this story. Right? The whole time, the problem has not been that they have not had fruit but that they have refused to give it. Right? Notice that the landowner sent servants and more servants and then a son to pick up what the vineyard has produced. And, and, and in no way, shape, or form are their tenants terrified because they don't have it. Instead, they have chosen to terrorize because they want it to be theirs. And the story ends in a murder that cares more about the integrity of the grapes, not wanting to get blood on the product, rather than the integrity of their own hearts because they don't realize that the blood on their hands is a symptom of the violence that sin has already done to their hearts. And watch what Jesus does. Because right before he jumps into his explanation, he asks another question. Verse 40, he's looking at the religious authorities. He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Notice his wording. Not a question of if, but when. Not, not if he will do anything, but what he will do. Jesus is asking these religious leaders to predict the future of these tenants, and they're good students, so they're going to answer correctly. They, they respond in verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Well, that, a little bit of wordplay here from these intellectuals, which tells me they're not really understanding what's about to happen. Their assessment is spot on. The, the landowner will do what he should have done before, sending his son. He will end these wicked, wretched tenants. He will terminate their lease. They would be lucky to escape with their lives. The landowner will find tenants who will do what they were supposed to do. And up until this point, Jesus has structured his second story like his first. Right? Parabolic world, dramatic end, piercing question, but last time he went right for the proclamation of judgment. You're getting cut in line. You're rejecting John's message of repentance. You're recoiling at the message that, that these sinners with changed lives are preaching by their lives. But here's why Jesus' second haymaker, I think, is going to connect with a lot more power. But because before he pronounces judgment, he prepares the way with scripture. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? This is like slightly snarky Jesus in the most sinless way possible. 
Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Listen, I love Jesus for a lot of reasons, but one of them is moments like this. Because he's relentless here, man. Have you, have you never read? Listen, surely you religious leaders, you would have never read this because if you had, you would remember what it says and you would realize what's happening. Have you never read? And Jesus goes on to quote Psalm 118, verses 22 through 23. As a point of context, this is the same exact psalm that was in the mouth of the crowds the day before when, when they were crying Hosanna as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Jesus takes the song that these people were using for worship and he confronts the religious leaders with their false worship. He turns his parabolic vineyard into a construction site using the imagery of Psalm 118 of stones and construction workers. Right? It's almost as if you see this, these construction workers that are picking through the building materials. They're looking not just for a particular stone, but a stone that will fit in a particular place as the cornerstone, the most important stone in the building, the place where the walls meet and the foundation rests on. They're looking for a cornerstone, and as they search, they're throwing stone after stone after stone into the reject pile. But then it's like the contractor walks out. And he picks up a stone, but it's not from the pile of stones that they haven't checked yet. It's, it's, it's from the reject pile. And he says, this is the cornerstone. This is the one we're using. Do you see Jesus' right cross coming? Those who should have seen Jesus coming and received him with joy and responded to him with repentance, they have rejected him with disrespect and in just a few days in this story will reject him with violence. He is the stone that the builders rejected and it turns out that the rejected stone, that is the one that's going to be used as the cornerstone. And so Jesus pronounces a sobering judgment. Verse 43. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. This judgment of Jesus is as striking as the violence of this story. Because the rejection of Jesus has led to Jesus' rejection of them. The kingdom of God was theirs. John 1 says that, that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so in the story, Jesus is actually saying two different things. He says, first, my kingdom is not defined by religious observance, but by the obedience of repentance. Because, second, Jesus is saying, I am the stone of rejection. And your rejection of me leads to my rejection of you. There are only two options, Jesus says. Look at verse 44. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The stone of rejection does not give out free passes. To fall on the stone means brokenness. To have it fall on us means being crushed. And, and again, the imagery is provocative. But, but then again, when is Jesus not provocative? Either we fall on the stone or the stone falls on us. If it falls on us, we are crushed, ground into dust, pulverized. That's the sense of the word that's in this text. In other words, there's no going back. Right? To, to mix metaphors, the owner of the vineyard is coming. Judgment is on its way. To reject the stone is to ignore the warnings and be crushed under God's just judgment of sin. Sin is rebellion, right? God is not only the one who made everything, he is also the only and true and rightful king and all of our disobedience, all of our pride, all of the ways we break his laws are sin and rebellion against the king. And if he is a just king, which he is, 
He has to punish sin. There has to be judgment. If he let it all fly, it would be like giving up his vineyard to violent tenants. God cares too much, not just about what he has made, but who he has made to leave it alone. Judgment is coming. The stone of rejection will crush anyone who refuses to accept that they are sinners, that Jesus is their only hope, because apart from Jesus, we are left in our sin, guilty and rebellious. But Jesus explains that there is another option. Instead of rejecting him and being crushed, he calls us to repent. Or or to keep up with his image, he calls us to brokenness. You see that in what he's saying. He calls us to realize just how broken we are because of our own sin. To throw ourselves on his mercy and fall on him and be broken and admit our sin and turn towards him. Do you realize that the difference between being crushed and being broken is that broken can be healed and crushed is forever? The sinners who realize and accept and admit that they are sinners and repent and confess and turn from their sin are not only the ones who get into the kingdom, Jesus says. They are the ones who are given the kingdom because it is repentance that bears the fruit of the kingdom. The kind of repentance that doesn't hide brokenness but brings it into the light not only to be seen but to be healed. Which is why as we come out of both of these two parabolic worlds, That momentum leads us to the son of redemption who heals us. This is the third surprising but foundational element of the kingdom. The son is precisely the one who will take care of our sin. The obedience of repentance confronted by the stone of rejection leads us right to the son of redemption whose body was broken for us and whose blood was spilled out for us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he was broken so that we might be healed. So that we might uh, uh, not only see our brokenness and have to repent of it, but that we might be put back together. That our entire lives might be redeemed. Uh, And a, a fancy theological word I'm using here to just mean bought back. Instead of remaining slaves to sin, the gospel says that Jesus bought our freedom at the price, at the cost of his own life. By his love displayed on the cross, he made a way back to God. And yet... The religious leaders confronting Jesus could not see the love that was confronting them, that was inviting them to repentance. The text says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. They heard what he said. They knew what he was talking about. They knew he was talking about them and warning them of judgment. Notice, he did not say the kingdom of God has been taken away, but will be taken away. The owner of the vineyard is coming, but he hasn't yet. He has sent his son. And yet, not only do they refuse to believe, they have also begun to plot his arrest. Eventually, they will say to themselves, like the tenants in the story, come, let's kill him. The crucifixion is coming and it will be at their hands because they refuse to see what God was doing. Because they refuse to see the arrival of the kingdom in the arrival of the king. And and here's what I think is actually truly remarkable about this parabolic story. That even after the son was killed, there was still time in between his murder and the arrival of the landowner. In fact, we, we find this same psalm, Psalm 118, that Jesus quotes here about rejection. It resurfaces later in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, in the mouth of one of Jesus' evangelists. And who is he speaking to? The religious leaders who have crucified Jesus. 
At this point, Jesus has resurrected and ascended into heaven, but, but one of his evangelists, Jesus is speaking through him to these religious leaders, and in verse 11 and 12 says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Even after they succeeded in killing Jesus, Jesus is pleading with them to turn from their sin, because until he returns, there's still a chance. The cornerstone has not yet crushed. It is inviting all of us to throw ourselves on his mercy and in repentance allow ourselves to be broken, to be restored in him. If you didn't track with this, Jesus is both sons in the first story. He not only says yes, but he actually obeys the father's will. He does not refuse. He does not rebel. He never sinned. He, he, he lived a perfect sinless life, the life we should have lived. But he's also the son of the second story. The one who was sent to his own and his own did not receive him. Sent to us, to those that, that he made, those who bear his image, those he loves. And not only was he not loved, he was hated, he was despised, he was rejected, he was destroyed because of our sin. The owner of the vineyard is coming. The difference between that parabolic world and this world is that the son he sent and was killed also came back to life that all who believe in him might have all of their violence, all of their sin, all of their rebellion forgiven forever. That's why this morning, as we finish our walk through this text, we actually come to the table of communion together. It's because of that good news this gospel message that invites sinners like all of us to repentance. It's why we celebrate communion together regularly to remind us of what Jesus has done. It is at this table that we are not only reminded of that repentance, but we are invited again into that practice of repentance. I don't know if you remember this, but we are supposed to practice repentance over and over again because if you haven't noticed, we're not perfect yet. Jesus isn't done with us yet. We are invited at this table not only into the practice of repentance, but we are revived again by the reception of his grace. The scriptures teach that communion is a means of grace given to us by Jesus. It is a way that we not only remember together, but that we are shaped together by the gospel of grace that calls all of us to repentance. Those who know that they are sinners and those who too quickly forget just how bad they were apart from Jesus. At this table, we're not perfect. We're sinners in need of salvation. We are the repentant. We are broken people, breaking bread, drinking a cup that remind us of the one that was broken and poured out for us. So this morning, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus yet, then I want to tell you that this table is for you. Not that you might eat and drink, but that you might see past the bread and the cup to the Savior that they point to. This bread and this cup, they don't save. Only Jesus saves. So if you don't know Jesus yet, I invite you to receive him as your Lord and Savior before you receive the elements, before you receive this bread and this cup. And if you're wondering how to do that, I mean it. Please come talk to me. Stop at the front desk on your way out. Ask questions. We want to help you try to figure this out together. But if you've already figured this out, and you are ones who follow Jesus, who have repented and given your lives to him because he gave his life for you, this table is for you this morning. As we eat and as we drink, I want to encourage you to remember his grace. 
I want you to encourage you to receive his grace again as he shapes us with his gospel through this meal. And so before we eat and drink, in light of his grace and the gospel we proclaim as we take this meal together, I want us to recognize both the depth of our sin and the even deeper love of Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment in silence to reflect, to confess our sins before the Lord. of compassion this morning we come to you who overflows with grace and we humbly confess our sins before you we fall on the stone of rejection and we believe you when you tell us in your word that if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us we are broken before you and we confess both what we have done and what we have left undone and we ask for your forgiveness we are grateful for your salvation and we receive your grace and proclaim your gospel as we eat this bread and drink this cup together. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's take a moment to open the bread. Hold it up together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 24, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat and receive his grace together. Let's raise the cup together as well. Paul continues in chapter 11, verse 25. He says, in the same way also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink and receive his grace together. Gracious God, you tell us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you return. Every time we do this, Lord, we proclaim our trust in you all over again. We remember our repentance. We see again what it costs you to make our repentance and our salvation possible. And so this morning, we proclaim that we live by grace, knowing that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Today we declare again that we rest on your unchanging grace. You are our only hope. You are the source of our everlasting peace. You are the one who makes broken stories beautiful. And so Jesus, we come to you out of our sin and our bondage and our shame into your freedom. We love you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. We respond today with a new arrangement of an old hymn called Jesus, I Come. 
and we invite you to sing along if you'd like to. Um, and Darren's going to lead us. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come, into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus I come to thee. Out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my want and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of thy cross, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of earth's sorrows and into thy balm, out of life's storms and into thy calm, out of distress into jubilant song, Jesus, I Jesus, I come to thee. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Into thy blessed will to abide, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above, upward forever on wings like a dove, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into the joy and the light of thy home. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depths of sin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to behold. Jesus, I Jesus, I come to thee. Before uh, finishing our service today, um, as you know, summers for us as a church is a, is a little bit different because we are doing a lot of things uh, that usually we cannot do throughout the year. Today's a special Sunday because we get to commission all the people who will be serving and going to different places. So I'm going to invite the team to please come to the front seat uh, or stand here right in front of us. Um, as a church, we believe that uh, evangelism is important. Amen? 
As a church, we believe that we have been called uh, to contribute to the common good. Amen? And as a church, we believe that we are called to go and make disciples of all the nations. Amen? All right, if you guys could yeah, go all the way to the other side. Oh, not to the other side, but we've got enough room for everyone to come in. Thank you. How about if we give him a round of applause? There you go. So uh, I just want to share uh, just a couple of things that we're going to be doing this summer. And this is a fragment of the team that will be doing something going somewhere during this summer. Um, so for example, uh, today, uh, this year we have three different teams from our student ministries going on a go teams. So we have 30 students from junior high going to um, Harvey, Illinois to partner with Restoration Ministries in Harvey. Uh, we got high schoolers. We got 55 students going to Cleveland, Ohio to partner with a local church over there. We have for, the, for in a very long time, eight students, go, upper class students from high school going to Albania. And they're going to be serving and partnering uh, with a couple of the ministries that we, um, that, that I, that I visited when I went over there during the summer. So as you see, you have the, the, the students coming in. How about if you give them a, a, a welcome as well? In addition to that, we have three more international teams. We have 18 of our uh, church members going to Greece. If you guys remember Helenist Ministry, they are planning to pass out 100 or spread or give out 150 New Testament Bibles in Greece this summer. Our team is going to be contributing to that. We have in addition to that, um, a team from Iglesia del Pueblo going to Dominican Republic. And we have 35 members of our congregation, uh, different generations, going to Whitefish uh, River First National Community in Canada as well. Now, that's good enough, amen? But there's more. Because we also have neighborhood Bible clubs in which our community, our, our church is going into the community to be light and salt in our communities. So we're going to celebrate that. And in addition to that, Puente del Pueblo will be receiving 100 students from our community to serve them and uh, proclaim the gospel and love them and serve them in any way we can. And for that, we want to give glory to God one more time. So now I want you to please to stretch out your hand. We're going to pray for these beautiful brothers and sisters. We're going to send them out in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beautiful Savior, I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters that are taking the time, Lord, to be out there, being light and salt, being your hands, being your voice, showing, Lord, your presence, showing the kind of God you are. Lord, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for your protection upon them. We pray, Lord, for the presence of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that they may go out there as kings, priests, and prophets. We pray in the name of Jesus that during this summer, we see and hear a lot of people coming into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And even for those that will not convert, that they may get to taste and see that you are pursuing them. Grateful, Lord, for every generation, every male and female, every person that is dedicating time this summer to proclaim the gospel with words and demonstrate the power of the gospel with actions. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. Amen.
All right, one more time. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Now, before we go out, I want to remind you that next week is party time. We have a celebration, birthday celebration. So we're going to have only two services, remember? Two combined services. So we all, you can choose either service to come. Let me pray, pray over us the benediction or the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations and the churches. Thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent. Thank you.